how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. Make sure to also check out Freelancer Class, where you can learn how to become a freelancer full-time or part-time. The online course will teach you how to make money online as a writer, marketer, designer, virtual assistant, accountant, or salesperson. Stay tuned after the show to learn how to get access for free to this $99 valued freelancer course, along with some other free items on our website, creativeprinciples.live. Chappaquiddick highlights Ted Kennedy's involvement with a fatal car accident in 1969, where young campaign strategist Mary Jo Kopechny lost her life. The new film was directed by John Curran and stars Jason Clark, Kate Mara, Bruce Dern, Jim Gaffigan, and Ed Helms. Andrew Logan and Taylor Allen talk about taking opportunities as they are presented, their long-distance writing partnership, knowing which industry connections to use in terms of voice, the problem with writing genre movies, and what inspired them to create the first movie about Senator Ted Kennedy. Um, this is Taylor Allen speaking. Uh, I was really fortunate that uh, Andrew had laid some groundwork for me by moving to L.A. first. And then uh, as soon as I graduated, I moved out here and uh, immediately moved into an apartment in the slums of Beverly Hills with Andrew. And uh, I ended up applying to like every job that Andrew saw on a tracking board and had no luck for like three months. And then all of a sudden I got a call and the call was from an unknown number. And I have a policy where I answer all unknown number calls. And this is why, because the call was, uh, Hey, is this Taylor Allen? Yeah, yeah, this is Taylor. Are you uh, still interested in uh, working on The Simpsons? To my knowledge, I had never applied for a job on The Simpsons. But, of course, this is like you know, discovering plutonium by accident. So I'm like, yes, yes, of course. I, I'd love to interview for the job on The Simpsons. And then they said, uh, just FYI, this is uh, not for The Simpsons TV show. It's for The Simpsons movie. Is that Okay. And at the moment, the Simpsons movie had not been announced. And so for me, as a lifelong you know, Simpsons fan, this was just like you know, manna from heaven uh, that I could get paid doing like the you know, sort of pinnacle at the time of the series. So I was, uh, I was really pleased that that's my start in the industry. My start in the industry, I moved um, to L.A. after I graduated college, and I got an internship um, at a production company in, on the Paramount lot, and I was uh, one of the, the very bright few that ended up getting promoted, and I got promoted to be the assistant to the producer, um, and I worked there for a year, and 
It was a very grueling job, very demanding, and I had wanted to come out here to be uh, a writer, but uh, at the end of the day, every single day, I didn't get any writing done because I just wanted to decompress. And so after about a year doing that, I said, why don't I go write, or why don't I go work for some writers? And so I ended up getting a job assisting Rick Jaffa and Amanda Silver, um, who were not only uh, fantastic screenwriters, but also great people and mentors as well. And I worked with them for about three years and got to see them pitch and write and, you know, create the uh, the new Planet of the Apes franchise, uh, which was an invaluable experience for me. And then I ended up uh, moving back to Austin, Texas, for the greatest reason of all, which is love. And I ended up marrying my high school sweetheart. And I thought it was the worst career decision um, that I could possibly have made because uh, Austin isn't really an industry town. It's a production town. And so I ended up starting over uh, as a PA on commercials and low-budget feature films here in town. And then just really worked my way up to being able to produce uh, my own shoots. And I ended up very quickly uh, producing some movies that uh, premiered at Sundance and South by Southwest. And then all the while doing that, I was, you know, working on the screenwriting at nights and on the weekends. And then me and Taylor sold Chappaquiddick. So specifically in that in that last little bit, so Taylor, you're more in animation editing. Uh, Andrew, you've got most of your credits as a producer. How did you specifically make that jump? You just got together, wrote the script, and then got it to in the right hands? Is that kind of what happened? Yeah, I think that uh, both Andrew and I had a similar path of uh, failure paving the way towards success. And I think that both of us being kind of ambitious and wanting to you know, take any opportunity that presented itself to us, uh, we started screenwriting in a way that I wouldn't recommend now that I've learned my lessons, which is, you know, trying to break in with like whatever access you have. And so for me, you know, I tried writing Simpsons spec scripts and I tried, you know, writing sketch packets that I could give to, you know, some of the brilliantly talented, you know, comedy writers that I work with. And um, ultimately like that just wasn't where my voice was ever intended to go. Um, and so likewise, I did, I did the same similar sort of thing, which was, uh, I, I was trying to write genre movies for a while thinking that that was the best way to like break in because that's what, you know, people were wanting at the time. Um, but ultimately I sort of feel like it was a, it was a mistake because, you know, I wasn't writing from a place of like what I was passionate about. I was trying to write what I thought other people were passionate about. So I would say kind of watching some of those new Planet of the Apes films, you, most people wouldn't think of this, but a lot of those have some historical fiction there from uh, Vietnam or things like that. Where, where did this new movie come from? Where did, I mean, there's obviously a fascination with the Kennedy family. Um, what inspired you guys to write this story? Um, we had been talking about it for a really long time. We went to school together, and uh, we both grew up in Dallas, uh, even though we didn't know each other there. And because we had that childhood in Dallas, uh, I think that for us, the Kennedy legacy loomed a little bit larger there. Uh, You know, we probably went to the Sixth Floor Museum like a half dozen times throughout our schooling, you know. And um, the conversation that we had even in college was, 
you know, why have we never seen an actor play Ted Kennedy? And like, we've seen like a handful of people play JFK and a few Bobbies, but I'd never seen an actor play Ted. And so it kind of started out as the idea that there eventually needed to be a Ted Kennedy biopic. Um, but for me and Andrew, as screenwriters, we really don't like cradle-to-grave sort of stories. There's just something about that structure that doesn't engage us. And so then it wasn't until 2008 that uh, we actually first heard of the Chappaquiddick incident. And um, it was kind of a random thing where um, we were watching Real Time with Bill Maher, and Bill was covering the news of the week in 2008, which was that uh, Ted Kennedy had endorsed Barack Obama over Hillary Clinton, uh, bucking expectations, and you know people were calling it a game-changing moment in the primary season. And so then Bill commented, you know, Ted Kennedy changing presidential history for a second time. You know, he would have been president had it not been for Chappaquiddick. And that was the first moment we had heard of that. And it was so shocking to hear that presidential history might have been changed because of this event that we had no knowledge of. And so then, yeah, we hopped on the Google machine and uh, we we went to Wikipedia, which is just yeah, the first resource you go to. And it really just spilled out of that wiki page. We were so surprised that this was something we'd never heard. Jason Clark has received a lot of praise for his role as Ted Kennedy in the film. Did you guys, um, you know, watch videos or write anything about his certain tics or anything like that other than dialogue? Or did you kind of leave it up to the actor for those decisions? Um, I would say that we were really lucky that, you know, Ted Kennedy has so much, you know, material to draw from, including his autobiography and uh andrew actually went the extra mile and instead of just reading it he uh listened to it and uh, that that gave us a lot of insight into how his you know voice speaks and like what sort of diction that he uses and all those things and then um yeah the movie covers you know two instances at the beginning and the end where Ted Kennedy was giving a television interview or a televised statement. And so, you know, we were really uh, methodical in how we analyzed that footage to describe those ticks and, you know, find places other than those on-camera appearances where those ticks might be appearing as well. So clearly this is an important event. Um, today, news story or newsworthy stories like this happen more and more often. They're almost just, there's so many that cover each other up. What were some of the differences you noticed as far as this type of, let's call it a tabloid scandal uh, versus what we're used to today? What were some of those differences back then? Um, one of the big aha moments in writing the script and something that uh, even people that lived through the incident tend to forget the synchronicity is that the Chappaquiddick incident happened over the weekend of the moon landing. And so at the time, you've got three TV networks and you've got you know your local paper and you know, maybe the New York Times, maybe the Washington Post is getting delivered to your area. But all of those outlets were definitely covering the moon landing, you know, almost nonstop. If you open the front page of any newspaper, you know, the day after the Chappaquiddick incident happened, it was entirely moon landing stories. And so, oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, 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 no. I was just going to, I was going to add something, which was, it was also um, 1969, which was pre-Watergate. And I think that, uh, it was a time when 
people held their political representatives up on a pedestal and didn't necessarily question them the way that we do now, which I think greatly affected how the, the, the story was handled uh, versus how it would be handled today. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, the father Joseph, played by portrayed by Bruce Dern. He's a really interesting character in the film because of his limitations. Can you talk a little bit about that as a character uh, when he all he can say really is alibi, the word alibi on the phone, and what that character meant for the protagonist? Yeah, the limitations of uh, Joe Senior was one of the things that made it so interesting as you know the major opposing force to Ted in the movie. And, um, you know, we didn't come to the conclusion of what he was capable of saying or what, you know, he was able to do without a lot of research. And actually, Andrew has a really interesting story about that. Yeah, like when we were writing it, um, we had read, obviously, that he had had a stroke and that he had had difficulty speaking. But, you know, when you're reading it in print and on the on the page, it doesn't really you can't really hear it. And so we had a lot of arguments between the two of us in terms of how much was he going to speak and how could he speak and and so we, I was just like, well, let me see if I can dig up something. And so I ended up finding this audio recording from the LBJ Library where LBJ calls Joe Senior from the Oval Office and Ted Kennedy is in the Oval Office with the president during the phone call. And you hear uh, Joe Sr. interact with LBJ and Ted, and uh, you know, he could just barely grunt and get a, a word out every now and then. And so once we had that, um, it was very clear. I was like, well, this is what he sounded like, so this is how we have to write him. Did you find the research, I mean, does some of the research limit that? Like, for example, I've interviewed an author named Neil Thompson. Neil Thompson, he wrote one book about an astronaut, so there's just tons and tons of information and logs and data. He wrote a separate book about moonshiners where they didn't talk about anything, and they still won't talk today. Some of them, they're still alive. Did you find it limiting or really helpful to have, like, a bountiful amount of information? Yeah, you know, as you say, uh, there was a lot of stuff out there and a lot of, you know, really well-sourced information. Uh, the locals in Martha's Vineyard call Chappaquiddick the most well-documented car accident of all time. And um, the reason that it didn't get overwhelming was because early on in the outline stage, we had narrowed our scope for the story to be just seven days. And so, you know, it starts on the Friday uh, before the accident happened, Saturday night, and it ends on the very next Friday with Ted giving a televised statement to the entire nation. And um, becoming an expert about seven days of time is not entirely impossible. And we were also really fortunate that um, the sourcing could be as good as court transcripts because six months after everything happened, there was an inquest into whether or not a crime had been committed that weekend, uh, the inquest into the death of Mary Jo Kopechne. And so you've got all the major players on the island that night under oath. You've got the boiler room girls. You've got the police officer who saw Ted that night and even Ted Kennedy himself uh, under oath on the stand. And so that really formed the backbone of our research. And we didn't deviate from it because we knew that for this particular story, the truth was you know, paramount. So in one re one review of the film, Variety writes, quote, the Kennedys lived outside the law. 
Uh, the article also inferred that he should have probably been up for involuntary manslaughter. They referred to him as a weasel, especially in the movie. Do you kind of agree with those definitions, or do you see the movie as a different type of story than that? Uh, we definitely don't use the word weasel in the movie, so I uh, don't agree with that characterization specifically. Um, having said that, I think that one of the reasons that we were fascinated enough by this story to spend you know multiple years of our life trying to tell it the best way possible was because it was so difficult for us to wrap our own heads around the moral implications of a lot of these decisions. And that on the one hand, you know, Ted Kennedy went on to do a lot of really great things as senator. And I think that this incident actually refined his thinking as senator a great deal. And, you know, perhaps he became the senator that he became because he no longer had presidential ambitions. But when you go back to it, you know, at the end of the day, it's nine hours where he chose not to report this accident. And that's something that um, ultimately is outside of my understanding of the law. And, um, you know, Judge Boyle, who ran the inquest, um, basically said as much. And the only reason why, you know, the decision came down that, you know, a crime hadn't been committed, I am paraphrasing the quote, but he said that uh, he, the judge, Boyle, said that he felt that Ted Kennedy would continue to be punished for his actions long after this in a way that would far exceed whatever punishment Judge Boyle would put. I've got uh, just a couple more for you guys. This this may be more of a question for the director or casting, but I was kind of surprised when I saw the trailer to see Ed Helms and Jim Gaffigan both in more serious roles. Do you have any story about how they kind of got cast in the film? Uh, I would say that you know Andrew and I are executive producers on the movie, and um, you know Jason was actually cast before our director John Kern came on. And it was something that in even the early talks with John, we all really felt that um, there needed to be both like an intelligence and a heart and a you know sense of humor from some of these other roles. And for us, you know, we saw Ed as this really secret weapon that you know he had a lot of depth that an audience hadn't seen before. And Jim, too, is just an incredible dramatic actor in a way that, like, most stand-ups aren't. But, um, yeah, there are a lot of moments of sort of dark humor as things sort of spiral, spiral out of control in the third act. Um, I like to say that uh, Fargo is one of my all-time favorite movies and that uh, the, the sense of humor in that movie maintains like a humanity and I look at people in a really realistic way, but like you're able to have like a laugh at like people's very human foibles, you know? I'm really excited to, um, uh, for audiences to see Ed and Jim's performances. I think that they're really going to be surprised. It's, it's very, they're very great performances. There's definitely that opportunity for that. Like one that comes to mind is like Ray Romano left television and, and occasionally gets these little roles that really kind of give him that light as well. Um, but you mentioned taking a few years to write this story. I'm always fascinated with the logistics of writing, especially with a partnership. How did that kind of come together? Did you guys just start talking about this, this story and do you kind of like logistically, do you pass it back and forth or how does that work? Um, so kind of a funny story. Um, Andrew and I 
this is the first script that we ever wrote together. It's really, you know, my first feature ever. Um, but, you know, Andrew and I had other writing partners immediately before we had uh, this decision to start on Chappaquiddick. And uh, we have heard uh, from uh, Matt Weiner that uh, Frank Pearson once said that, uh, you know, it's after your first divorce that you really know what you're looking for in uh, your next marriage. And that, that was really true for us, that, um, you know, having experiences with other writing partners, we really realized some of our weaknesses and strengths as, you know, writing partners. And that I think Andrew and I have a sort of yin and yang sort of thing going that has worked really well. And this was a story that we had just kind of talked about for a long time, as I said, but yeah, Ted Kennedy and you know, the idea that he needed to have his story told on screen. And then, uh, yeah, Chappaquiddick just presented the best way to tell it. And uh, we actually yeah. wrote the script in about nine months and then uh you know it's just taken that long to get it from there to the screen the other thing i'll add is that we're a long distance writing partnership uh which i think is somewhat unusual because i still live in austin and taylor lives in los angeles and so in terms of logistics what we do is uh we write everything um in a google doc um and we write every scene together so that we ha each have a cursor, um, which is really great. Cause like if I, if Taylor's like, you know, working on the dialogue, I can kind of fill in the action lines. And if I see something that I don't like, I can voice it to him and he does the same with me. And, and we use uh, a screenwriting language that John August created called uh, Fountain, um, which allows us then to, you know, copy and paste from the Google doc into his app called, uh, which is called Highland into a PDF or a final draft document. Very nerdy, very, uh, very, very strange, I think, compared to how other people do it, but it really works for us. It's also incredibly convenient because I can pull up the Google Doc on my phone and uh, I get some of my best ideas when I'm coming off of the treadmill at the gym. I've spent an hour trying to think about anything but the exercise. And so I you know, tend to come up with a good line or a good idea. And I can just, you know, put it right into the Google Doc right as soon as I, you know, am off that treadmill. So, Usually partnerships that I've interviewed have been like comedics. I've interviewed like the writers of The Hangover. And for them, either like a joke works or it doesn't work. Do you guys have any debate like that with a drama? If a line doesn't work or if a scene needs to be replaced? How do you kind of work through that? Uh, yeah, we we have, you know, very passionate debates every day writing together. And I think that that's one of the things that, that makes the work as good as it is. And, um, yeah, I think that often the way that I try to construct scenes is you're looking for what the turn is and you're trying to make whatever that, you know, shift of balance and dramatic power as exciting as possible. And for me personally, I'm often like looking for, like a line of dialogue or a bit of action or something like this, like a turn of phrase that's really going to like make that dramatic moment as exciting as it can be on the page. And so, yeah, that's something that, yeah, me and Andrew will bat back and forth until it's really something outstanding. I think it's really helpful too, that Taylor and I were best friends before we were writing partners. And so we're really easily able to sort of check our egos at the door. And we have a understanding that, 
you know, the best idea wins. It doesn't matter whose idea it is. And, you know, as long as, as long as we stick to that, then, you know, I think we're both happy. Well, congrats on the film. I really enjoyed it. Uh, is there anything else you guys want to say about this movie or anything else you're working on in the future? Uh, I think that one thing that I'll say about this movie is that we wrote it in 2014, uh, well before the presidential primary, and uh, we we really just looked at it in part, you know, as a character study, in part as a thriller. But it was at the end of the day an opportunity to have a personal reckoning with like our own politics because we were so pleased with a lot of the things that Ted Kennedy did in his career. You know, as I said, you know, he endorsed Barack Obama, and so that was something that I was very thrilled about that. And um, that uh, a lot of things happened after we wrote the script that seemed to change the way that it's perceived. And what I can say today is that uh, for me, this story represents a story about truth having no political party, and that I think that that's very relevant today. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter. We also get free access to the freelancer course, Master the Freelancer Mindset. This system will teach you exactly how to find clients online which includes step one, the psychology of the mindset, step two, how to create a killer profile, and step three, how to find quality clients. This online course is valued at $99. It can be yours for free. In addition to the free course, you'll get access to the ebook, How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block. This contains advice from Aaron Sorkin, Carrie Fukunaga, and William Monahan. You can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.